Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show, everyone. We have, oh, what a great show this is going to be today because at 2.30 on the half hour, Karen Slaughter is calling in. Karen Slaughter. Wow. Mystery author. And we're going to be talking about the We Will Slaughter stigma campaign. But what excites me as much is, you know what, I just love my employees. And I have Gerald Homey and Sherry LaPaya with us right now to talk about the We Will Slaughter stigma campaign. Gerald and Sherry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joyce. Thanks for having us, Joyce. Thank you. Yeah, Gerald heads the Bender Lead On team and assists with teaching classes in the Student Leaders Program, and Sherry helps with the curriculum development and does a whole lot more than that. Uh, Sherry, we have been working closely. You have been working with me on this campaign to end stigma. How about if you explain to our listeners around the world what We Will Slaughter Stigma Campaign is and how everyone can become involved? Certainly, Joyce. Um, so the, the We Will Slaughter Stigma Campaign is, is really designed to teach people to recognize stigma when they face it, whether it be, you know, at school, in the community, or, you know, as, as they're joining the workforce, and, and help people to really feel um, empowered or emboldened to do something to end it. Um, you know, according to StopBullying.gov, you know, they say that when witnesses or bystanders see bullying behavior and take the uh, chance to stand up for that person being bullied, that the behavior stops within 10 seconds, 57% of the time. And, you know, just imagine with this campaign, if we all unite together and, and take that stance against stigma, the difference we can you know, make. That's why the, the we is so important because too often people wait for someone else to do something or say something. Um, but if we all get involved and we all take a stance and, and say this isn't right and, and this isn't the way that it's supposed to be, we can you know, really make a difference. Yes. And, you know, I love that part you told Sherry about what a change there is when someone gets involved and helps someone. It takes so little. It takes so little, but we all can slaughter stigma if we work together, and I love this campaign. I love it. Uh, You'll be hearing from Karen Slaughter in a little bit, but this woman is an incredible author and an incredible leader for all of us living with disabilities, uh, and that she is committed to this is phenomenal. I'm going to tell you, you know, kids with disabilities are bullied more than any other group, and you really need to get involved with us to make a change because it's a terrible thing to be bullied constantly. 
It really is. But if we all work together, we are going to make a difference. Gerald, you have a hidden disability. Uh, Maybe you could explain to everyone how stigma impacted your life and then why you believe this campaign is so important. Sure. So, uh, like you said, I, I have a hidden disability. I have dysgraphia, which is a less common uh, a less common disability. We diagnosed a learning disability, and you know, from an early age, uh, because you don't hear it so much about that particular disability, um, I was constantly faced with individuals who thought I was making it up, thought that this was something that was not true because they couldn't see, you know, to them what was wrong with me. Uh, (laughs) They decided that I didn't have a disability, that I was just lazy or, you know, trying to, you know, get special treatment or all those other, you know, terrible things that that people think. But, you know, it really impacted me in my early life in... um, my education, where it really changed a lot of and created a, cha- a lot of challenges because uh, I was being forced to be measured by my ability to physically write, which is directly impacted by my learning disability, dysgraphia, which, uh, if for those that don't know what that is, it creates a, uh, a essentially a disconnect between um, expression of language and the physical act of writing in a similar way that uh, it happens for folks with dyslexia when they're reading. So it's on the output instead of on the input. So uh, the physical act of writing is very unnatural. Um, it's more like you're individually drawing every single letter. So, you know, I had, uh, you know, teachers that would uh, try to fix me by making me rewrite assignments over and over and over again and uh, other teachers that thought it wasn't true so they just didn't do anything and then I suffered in uh, their classes because of it um, because I was not receiving proper accommodations and you know all these little things that were happening that made me um, have to go about these a different way or all the even when I was getting accommodated these all showed up as uh, you know, differences that stood out to my peers in school. And, you know, when they see something that's different, that's when they take the opportunity to to bully somebody. And I faced a lot of challenges with bullying uh, early on in my life in elementary school, um, continuing on through high school in various different uh, capacities. And, um, and, even still today when, you know, I meet people and I tell them about my disability, the reaction is, oh, yeah, I couldn't even tell or something like that, or I'm so st- sorry. So there's like this this innate pity that people have and, and things like that that are all very silly that I'm uh, really excited that we're kicking off this campaign to end stigma for those with disabilities because there's so much there. As you preach every week on here, Joyce, that... Um, people don't understand and uh, needs to be changed. Yes, and uh, Gerald, Gerald, that you endured that and then now have become a leader is absolutely such a great thing. For example, you are the chair uh, of the Bender Lead On team. Now, how do you see that working into the We Will Slaughter stigma campaign? 
Well, I really see it as a platform for those that really want to get engaged in the campaign to connect and come up with creative ideas to continue pushing this forward. Um, So the Vendor Lead On team is a... uh, group on social media, primarily on Facebook, of young advocates uh, for the disability community, many of them folks with disabilities themselves who are taking a stance um, for other youth with disabilities, and uh, you know, there's just a big community of really amazing individuals. So this is going to be probably a hub where a lot of people are going to be talking about this game, get about this campaign, getting the word out, sharing the success stories and, you know, stories of those who are, you know, continuing to push this campaign forward. Great leaders like Karen, who are going to be helping keep this going. This is going to be a great soundboard to be talking about all the exciting activity. Yeah, and you know very well Gerald, you have met so many high school students with disabilities that when they are bullied and that they have to deal with stigma, it just really takes part of their soul out of them. I mean, it really does. And then when they get this recognition and the belief they are important, what change have you seen then? Oh, they have, uh, the biggest change they have is the, their their pride is just, you know, completely regained. They just, you know, they bound back and are so prideful in what who they are and what they are capable of. And when you have that, you know, uh, that, that confidence that, you know, comes with, the being proud of who you are, uh, you know, that really removes a lot of barriers for you because, you know, it kind of silences that voice in your head saying, no, you can't do this, which, you know, the people with disabilities have been hearing many other people tell them that for a lot of their lives, that they're not capable of something. Um, And, you know, it's very empowering to be in a stance where you realize that that's not true and that you are much more capable and you have opportunity to not only, you know, do great things for yourself and have a very successful life for yourself, but to also have the opportunity to positively impact other people and to be a leader, not just somebody who's capable, but somebody that other people look up to as the example of how to be. That can be really empowering for those that, you know, are told that they're not that they're have been treated as if they're lesser to be in a position when they realize they can, you know, be a leader and Really, those folks, you see them go so far and make such great differences in their communities. And for all young people listening right now with disabilities, let me tell you, not only will we slaughter stigma, you are going to help me help so many other young people who are being bullied every day of their life, whether it's verbally, physically, uh, excluding them, or social media. Because there have been young people with disabilities that have taken their life as a result of this horrific bullying. 
but we can make a difference if we all work together. Sherry, uh, your team that reports to you work with many young adults with disabilities. What, what impact has stigma had on the candidates that you talk to that apply with us for a career opportunity? Yes, stigma definitely, you know, plays a, a large part in, you know, how people with disabilities, um, you know, are viewed by society, by employers, and, and in often cases by, by themselves. You know, we talk to, um, you know, so many young people who feel that their their voice has been stripped away by how others view them. Um, you know, they, they talk to us uh, about, you know, just fighting for that opportunity to be independent. And, and really the only thing that's standing between people with disabilities and independence is stigma. Um, you know, whether it's a, a loved one or a neighbor or an employer, you know, they see the disability first, not the person, and, and not their dreams and their, their competencies and their skills. Um, they, they're so focused on, you know, the stigma around disability and what that means to them that they lose sight of the person and, and you know, Really, people with disabilities are, you know, they're constantly told what they can't do and, and pitied rather than, you know, being treated as equal to their peers. And, and for some people, you know, who, who have non-visible disabilities, you know, whether it's, you know, a, a person with a, a learning disability like Gerald, I have a, a friend who has um, MS, uh, you know, a person with a, a heart condition or, or diabetes or a mental health disabilities, you know, the, the even sharing that they are a person with a disability, um, you know, is something that's very frightening. You know, they, they don't want to be associated with the stigma around disability or treated differently because somebody found out about a medical condition that they have. And, um, you know, in, in some cases, you know, even when a person has a visible disability, the stigma and that label is... is um, you know, such a, a, a big weight that they disassociate entirely with the disability community and, um, you know, miss out on the opportunities that are available there and the support available there um, just because they don't want to be seen as different and, and they don't want to be associated, um, you know, with that word because of all the connotation that comes with it. And, and, and really the worst part is when that stigma has become internalized. Um, and the person starts to believe the stigma and they start to feel like they're not good enough. And, you know, that's always what breaks my heart the most is when we talk to uh, candidates who have, you know, hit that point where they're giving up hope. Yes, and sadly, many of those people do. You know, stigma is really horrible. That, that from high school on, that is why there is such a high unemployment for people with disabilities. And it does just take the confidence and the heart out of someone when they are meant feel excluded, excluded, whether it's employment, parties, no matter what it is, it's a terrible thing to feel excluded. And I would say uh, and Sherry and Gerald, you can feel free to jump in on this, but I would say that the stigma is uh, that you're different, that you're inferior, that you're 
strange that you won't fit in. Uh, Gerald or Sherry, does that sound right to you, or do you want to add anything to that? Absolutely, Joyce. I, you know, I, I agree with all of those, those, um, all of that assessment as well. And, um, you know, really, there's also that that association that disability is a burden on society and something that you're taking away from others. Um, it makes you feel bad about yourself, about um, the hardships you're creating for your parents, the hardships you're creating for your community. And really, you know, we've seen studies, and maybe, Joyce, you can talk a little bit about this, but, you know, more and more we're finding that as people with disabilities have the opportunity to become a part of the workforce, they're making that workforce better, stronger. They're not taking anything away. They're adding. That is so true. Uh, A recent study by Accenture uh, that really was the result of a request by Ted Kennedy Jr., my friend, demonstrated factually that companies that hire people with disabilities, those companies are four times more profitable than those that do not yet There is this stigma. And once again, young people listening, adults, I don't care who it is, you've got to get on board with this. You've got to get on board. It starts young, like elementary school young. And it continues on. Imagine now, first, kindergarten, whatever it is, through 12th grade, if you are constantly ostracized, if you are not included. And by included, I mean, I'll never forget this young girl I met, Emily, uh, maybe 10 years old, uh, crying because her best friend's mother did not invite her over to a party, a sleepover, because her mother had just found out that Emily lived with epilepsy. Do you have any idea what that does to someone that is horrific. And Gerald, I'm sure you experienced some of that when you were talking about what you went through uh, with dysgraphia, with, with the learning disability, with dyslexia. I'm sure that you felt some of that during that time from other kids. Am I right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I remember um, trying to spend some time with a uh, my local youth group and two of the boys who were acted like they were going to be my friends decided to abandon me in the middle of the woods on a on one of our trips so you know things like that so there's definitely a lot of folks that take it upon themselves to treat those very badly so that yeah. way they make them known that they are, you know, that they think that they're think less of them. Right, sadly. See, but here's the good news now. Here's the good news. We're going to make a change. We are going to make a change. We will slaughter stigma, but I need you. We need you. We need you on board with this campaign, and you're going to hear more about it in the future. But for right now, you know how you can get on board? If you're a parent, talk to your kids. This saying terrible things about people on Facebook, making fun of them, calling them names, whether they have an intellectual disability or epilepsy, I don't care what it is. You've got to teach them not to be someone that puts people down, 
but that helps people stand up. You've got to be that parent that teaches them words hurt, words scar. They really do. And But you, you can be that parent that teaches them how important that is to include everyone. You know, that's what diversity is all about. And for those of you living with disabilities, you've got to believe in yourself. You know, I have a little saying, when I teach high school students with disabilities, I always say, get out the remote control and change the channel. When someone is telling you, you don't count, you don't belong, you're not important, these are not people you want to spend your time with. But it takes just a small group of people to start something magnificent that changes everything. Sherry, did you have any last comments you want to make? No, I, I just want to say that, you know, it, 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 again, you know, it, it really is, is you know, that, that group mentality, that, that coming together, um, you know, a lot of times the way that stigma gains power is by isolating people and by, you know, perpetrating myths about people and when we take the time to say the truth and stand up for uh, people and be inclusive you know we're taking that down one step at a time right and and that is so true and helping people realize how talented they are and how important they are Gerald how about you yeah I mean Definitely, you want to make sure you take time to be extra nice to people. Many people, you know, will uh, not directly treat folks with disabilities negatively, but um, will avoid them because they feel uncomfortable in a situation. They don't know how to react to somebody, so they choose not to do anything instead. And, you know... You should just always make the choice to be friendly to somebody, at least. I love that. Make the choice to be friendly. Make the choice to be kind to everyone. Because you know what? There's always a child watching you. There's always a child watching you and learning from you. And together... We can make such a difference. I'm going to get ready to go to break right now. This is Joyce Bender on Disability Matters, voiceamerica.com. We'll be back in a few minutes with Karen Slaughter. Don't go away. You won't want to miss this. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
For those in leadership positions with corporations, governments, nonprofits, and educational institutions, please pay attention. Are you aware that 10 to 15% of your potential clients are unable to use your websites properly? At AudioEye, an advanced technology has been created that eliminates accessibility issues and levels the playing field for all. Make the internet a meaningful resource for millions of more people. Go to AudioEye.com. More accessible, more usable, more people. Call on AudioEye today. Visit AudioEye.com. At Highmark, we believe what makes us different makes us better. Our differences broaden our perspectives and foster diverse skills which complement each other, creating a stronger and more vibrant workforce. It's this belief that earned us recognition by the USBLN and the American Association of People with Disabilities as a 2014 Disability Equality Index Best Place to Work. So we'll continue to celebrate diverse individuals because inclusion benefits us all. To find out more, visit Highmark.com. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You're listening to Disability Matters. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joyce Bender. Welcome back, everyone. And just as I promised, I have Karen Slaughter with me. Karen Slaughter is, as I told you... A great author with 35 million books, 37 different languages, and I just love her. You know, that I love her. And Karen, you won't believe this, but I've known you for over 15 years. Holy moly. I know. Time goes fast. And How is it we got younger since then? <laughs> <laughs> we are. We look yes. younger, too. Didn't you know yes. that? I want to say this about Karen. Here she is. She's a celebrity, and she's with us today. But if you would meet her, that is just her. You know that? She is so modest, so humble. And, you know, when I'm with her, I'll I'll say to myself, oh, my God, I'm with Karen Slaughter. But that's just how she is. She is just wonderful. And for those of you in the United States and listening throughout the world, She is dedicated to us, people living with disabilities. She is dedicated to us. She has remembered us. Many have not, but Karen has. And Karen, before we get going, I want to congratulate you on the tremendous success of your book, The Last Widow, with one of my favorite characters, Will Trent, in the book. Uh, And by the way, when I say congratulations, like this book took off around the world. Uh, I mean, unbelievable. Great success. So without any spoilers, how about if you tell our listeners a little bit about that book, The Last Widow? You know, it's really hard to talk about without spoilers, um, as you know. But, I mean, one of the things I like to do when I talk to police officers is ask them, what is scaring you, right? Because I figure if cops are afraid, that we should all be afraid. Um, And so what I was hearing when I was talking to these police officers maybe four or five years ago 
was they were saying, I'm scared of us. I'm not scared of international terrorism. I'm scared of domestic terrorism. I'm scared that people are getting angry, that they're feeling isolated in some ways, but because of the Internet, because of what they're hearing maybe from some uh, political groups, they're feeling like now is their time to act and do horrible things. And, you know, that actually came to fruition over those ensuing five years, and I wanted to write about that. I wanted to write about the people who have this idea of what they think the country should be and how it doesn't really jibe with what the country is. And it never has, you know. I mean, you, I, I love watching westerns and old shows and old movies, but you don't see everybody who was living in America. You don't see Native Americans. You don't see people with disabilities. You don't see African Americans. You don't, I mean, you just, they're invisible in these old movies. And I think some people want to go back to living in those old movies where all they see are people who look like them and think like them and pray like them. And, and that's just not what the world is. And so I wanted to write about those groups and how dangerous they are and how they can really destroy what America really is all about. And I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, for example, people with mental health have, have just been, have received such terrible stigma, which we'll be talking about. Uh, but you're right. It's not like gun smoke. That is for no. sure. <laughs> Things have exactly. changed. And, you know, have... saying, saying without any understanding what mental illness is, that these people who are committing these violent acts are mentally ill, is not only insulting to people who struggle with this every day, but it doesn't solve the problem because it's not, it's not the problem. I mean, it, we, it, in America, we want to blame things, but we don't want to look at systemic issues that lead these people to do the bad things they do. I mean, if you really want to profile, then it's angry young white men. That's the first profile you should start with. Yeah, I know. And people with mental illness are more likely to hurt themselves than others. And it's just frightening when you constantly hear that, This is, you know, associated with these killings. That is why, by the way, people... In companies with any type of mental illness will not disclose they have a disability. Many will not, but that group, friends of mine, definitely will not because of that. And speaking of all of this, you created this character, Will Trent. So why did you do that, Karen? What, what caused you to create that character? Primarily, I wanted to talk about someone with a disability, who's a hero. Uh, Will Trent has dyslexia. It's something that he has felt stigmatized about. I mean, I know that you're doing amazing outreach to kids who have disabilities and who are bullied in high schools, and uh, that was something Will experienced, and he internalized a lot of that, and it's led to a lot of unjustified shame that he feels about not being, quote-unquote, like everyone else. And, you know, it's interesting to me because my sister had a very similar time growing up. I mean, obviously, writers write about what they know. And my sister was not a very good student, even though she tried very hard. I saw her at home working her butt off and studying and 
trying to do everything she could. And then she would get to school and she wouldn't do well. And the teachers diagnosed this as lazy because they didn't really understand that there's something called dyslexia and that, you know, a kid who was as bright as my sister wasn't being willfully stupid, which is what one teacher said about her. You know, she's choosing to be stupid, and that's something that she had to live with. And, you know, fortunately, the Americans with Disabilities Act, which last I checked, I mean, and we have to check every day, don't we? It's still in action. We still have those protections for people who need them. But that wasn't an option for her as a kid. They didn't really have special education. They didn't really understand learning disabilities. And and she suffered for that. And it's something that has stayed with her all her life. So I wanted to write about someone who had that struggle, but who was actually considered very smart because he's an intelligent guy. And a lot of people with dyslexia are amazing. You know, Tom Cruise, Whoopi Goldberg, um, Richard Branson who owns Virgin Atlantic, among many other properties. Um, You know, a lot of people with dyslexia are very goal-oriented people. They're very driven types of people. And I wanted to say, look, okay, there's some real positives that come with some of the downsides, and a lot of the downsides can be easily accommodated. Well... I agree, of course, with you 100%. And for kids in school, when either teachers, and just like with your sister, there are teachers that do not understand and make terrible comments because they don't understand a learning disability. But in addition, when a student gets up and, and has to leave class to go to tutoring, Oh, here it comes. Here comes that bullying with that stigma, how stupid you are, how weird you are. And every study has shown that young people with dyslexia that is not diagnosed end up having so many serious issues when they graduate uh, from high school. And since people don't want to hire people with disabilities, my question is, what made you think it would be believable to your readers to have this protagonist that's the good guy and solves the crimes uh, as a person with dyslexia? Well, one of the big things is because I met police officers who had dyslexia. And it's what you said. They didn't reveal this when they entered the police academy. Now, for Will, it's a little different because Will is an agent with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, and so he had to have a college degree. Um, And there are many people with dyslexia who have college degrees. It's just a matter of accommodation. Um, But for, for police officers who go to the police academy, they just have to have a high school diploma or a GED equivalent. And as we know, high schools are very different depending on what city they're in, what neighborhood they're in. And some have higher graduation rates because they have really good staff, really good programs, and some have higher education rates because they have really bad staff and they just pass everybody. So, you know, a lot of people talk about how they want lower taxes and small government. These are consequences of that. You know, if we need to spend more money training teachers. We need to spend more money helping kids with disabilities. And from a clear, uh, just a basically a financial point of view, 
it is so stupid not to help people with disabilities because, I mean, one is they're probably the only Americans who want to pay taxes. They want to be in the workforce. They want to be out there contributing and doing everything that they're capable of doing to their fullest extent. And it's so much less expensive to give them those tools and give them the education and give them the tutoring and give them all of those things so that they can go on to become productive people in society who are employed and have good jobs and are are paying taxes and that sort of thing than it is to say to them, well, we're not going to give you any of this stuff and we're going to give you a disability check instead. And you're not going to be able to contribute in the way that you are capable of contributing because we just don't care about you enough. Because that's what the message is, right? Is that we don't care about you enough to invest in you at an early age so that as an adult that investment pays off 20 times over. I mean, we just don't think about things like that, which is a shame. And, you know, when I write about Will, I'm very cognizant of that. I'm cognizant that there are police officers who have been, quote-unquote, quote, outed as having a learning disability, having dyslexia, having something um, on the spectrum, and they've had to sue to keep their jobs. And the American with Disabilities Act has made that possible because it has said it's illegal to fire this person because they aren't like the, the, the prototypical idea that you have of a police officer. And I will tell you this, as someone who's read many, many police reports, I mean, you'll find that some of them are very poorly written because of lack of education, because of lack of proper training. And as long as the information is conveyed appropriately and in a way that is, uh, meets the guidelines of the department, that's the job. And how long it takes them to fill out that is meaningless. That's some, you know, every cop has paperwork, and every cop complains about spending hours and hours filling out forms instead of being on the street. That's, that's just how it is. And if it takes some guy an hour longer to do paperwork than it would someone who's not dyslexic, so what? Let him do the job. Yeah. Let him do the job, how true that is. And Karen, I, I have to tell you, I have no words to tell you how proud I am, how honored we are, how excited we all are to have the Bender Leadership Academy partner with you on the We Will Slaughter Stigma campaign. We have so many young people living with disabilities that when I go to, for 20 years now, those classes I teach to high school students with disabilities at the Bender Leadership Academy, I haven't had one class yet where I've said at the beginning, okay, how many of you have been bullied where like 98% of the hands go up? Not once, not once did I have a class where maybe only a couple of people raised their hand, not one time, sadly. Uh, and as you're listening to the show, you probably caught something here. Karen's last name is Slaughter, and we are the We Will Slaughter Stigma campaign. And I believe if Karen and I partner together, we can create a powerful change. So, Karen, and and once again, thank you. But I wonder if you could share with our listeners why you believe this is so important. 
Well, you know, the work you've been doing is is vital. And the thing is, kids kids are born with the ability to spot the thing is, that's different. But they don't have prejudice. They learn prejudice. And they learn that from their parents. And... You know, and I, I, we've all been through high school. We all know how bad it can be. We all know that things that are different scare kids, things that are unusual. You know, I mean, it's sort of, there are all kinds of studies. There's this, this study they did in Berkeley where they took an elementary school class, and arbitrarily they said, okay, these kids are going to wear blue shirts, and these kids are going to wear red shirts. And we're not, it doesn't matter what they're, their sex is, it doesn't matter what their skin color is, anything. We're just going to split it down the middle, and that's how we're going to do it. And within a month, the kids in the red shirts thought the kids in the blue shirts were stupid, and the kids in the blue shirts thought the kids in the red shirts were stupid. And the thing is, it only takes the leaders of the group saying, we're better, we're the, we're the normal ones, to make that entire group think that way. And so where do those leaders learn to assert themselves as better than others. They, they're modeled that by their parents. And I, that's why I think it's really important about the language we use. It's important about the images we show on television. I mean, Sesame Street, of course, has been at the forefront of this for generations. It's telling kids, okay, people are different. That's okay. We need to be okay with differences. And a lot of bullying comes from fear and insecurity that things are different, that things change. And, you know, even as an adult, I'm not immune to this. I mean, I, I got home and the bowls that went in one cabinet were in another cabinet. It made me very nervous. You know, we all have <laughs> these things where we like things done a certain way. And it, that's why education is so important. And educating other kids, you know, some of these kids that you're you're – going into these schools and the kids that are bullies, they're seeing that behavior at home and they're putting that into play in their own lives in school. And what it is is they feel bad about themselves and the thing that gives them a little relief from that is making someone else feel worse than them. And you can logically say this to a kid, but unless they have that experience themselves and are really willing to look at it and say, you know, and understand the problem is not with me. The problem is with this other person, right? If I'm being bullied by someone, it's because they're way more screwed up than I could ever be. Uh, and, and, you know, I think getting that message out is so important. And getting it to adults, getting it so that it spreads to the community, having things. I mean, I know I've mentioned the ADA so many times. I am so terrified, Joyce, as I know you are that they're going to start breaking that, that they're going to start relaxing those rules. I mean, there's a, a, the Domino's case that's going before the Supreme Court uh, that could make it so that corporations and, and, and people who are selling things online no longer have to help people who are in sight impaired navigate their websites. I mean, that leaves someone completely out of online commerce to do that. So I think what we say is, what you're doing with these kids is, is helping these kids understand I'm, I'm a piece of this big puzzle that is our world, and I'm the piece that holds our community together, 
and there are people out there who are advocating for me, and this kid who is bullying me, it, it, it's not about me, it's about that kid, and it's about society telling this kid, you're right, everybody else is wrong. Oh, I want to say one thing. Well, I agree with everything you said, but yes, we in the disability rights community are worried about what's going to happen to the Americans with Disabilities Act. We have had several, several threats over the past few years. And you know, the thing is, next year's the 30th anniversary of the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And so, you know, we have to be vigilant in our community just to make sure it isn't torn apart because once you take away a few things, you have in fact taken away the Americans with Disabilities Act, which when you think, oh yes, they need it. Those people need it. You need it. People yeah. need it. it well, it you is don't know if you'll ever need it, right? You don't know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. You might lose your sight. You might hurt yourself. You might be injured. You might develop a disease. It's for everybody. It's not yeah. just for people who have this a disability now. And, I mean, it, it's, it's so selfish, Especially to say, I don't want to pick on Domino's, but I am, to say this multinational corporation that it's an economic hardship for them to accommodate people with disabilities, then you shouldn't be in business because that's the cost of doing business. Right. And that that, that is like saying, uh, although some people have also had acts where they wanted to change even the fact that you have to have uh, accessibility into buildings. But -hmm. you know what I say? I say to those people, and if it would be you, how would you feel? I mean, really, this is really, to me, like, no wonder you feel like a second-class citizen. If you can say to an American... Hey, we don't care if you're able to use our website or to uh, purchase from us. We don't care. We don't care because you're vision impaired or you're blind. I mean, how insulting is that? It's so egregious. And this is, in fact, plays right into all this stigma because what you said earlier, it, it just plays into. And that is we don't care about you. That's right. There's no such thing as separate but equal. Right. And what's next? What's next? I mean, how far are we, if we say this to people with disabilities, are we going to say it's too expensive for school systems to have to accommodate people with kids with autism? Is it too expensive? Or, or you know, what are we going to do? We're going to, like, say, okay, well, an, a Hispanic community or an African-American community or, uh, you know, gay and lesbian students. I mean, people who think, oh, I'm safe, you're not safe, and you don't know what the future is going to hold for you. But I, I also think, you know, my dad uh, grew up in a family with eight sisters and brothers, and I think I've told you about my Uncle Tony, who has... Um, learning issues and you know when he was born my grandmother was said this child will never be able to function on his own you should put him in an institution and my grandmother said no way and she kept him and and took care of him he ended up becoming uh, uh, working in business he worked at the same job in a warehouse for 30 years he's retired now 
He is very well adjusted in society. You know, his, of course, his family checks in on him. My dad's always going, checking in on him and stuff like that. But he's he's completely capable of living by himself and contributing. And if if someone had to, you know, if my if someone else had had him, maybe he would have died in an institution. Mm-hmm. And that's a very real threat that we could be looking at. And my, so when my father, uh, he owns a laundromat, he owns a coin laundromat, and he went to the sales reps to get the washing machines, and he said, I want to put these on platforms because I want people who have disabilities to be able to reach into the machines. And the, the guy selling the machine said, well, that's really smart because the ADA will give you a tax refund for that. And you won't ha- not only will you not have to pay for the platform, you'll get money back. And my dad said, well, that's great, but I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. But that's an important point about the ADA is it incentivizes businesses to do the things they should be doing anyway, like making buildings accessible, like making doorways accessible and signs that, that people can read that, you know, if you're sight impaired or having Braille or, you know, having doorknobs all at the same level and having things uniform so that buildings make sense to people. I mean, that's what the government does with the ADA, and that's why it's so important. And you never know when you're going to need these things. You just don't. I mean, and you can practically guarantee you're going to be, at some point in your life, you're going to have a cane, you're going to have a walker, or you're going to be in a wheelchair, uh, just but because you get old, and, you know, or you might hurt your knee, or all these things are there for us. And they benefit everybody because we're, we should be taking care of people. We should be taking care of each other. And we shouldn't say, okay, well, I might not need this now, but I might need it down the road. Or my child might need it. My parent might need it. My friend, someone in my church might need it. And that we take care of each other. Yes, I tell people, I agree with you. I tell people all the time, uh, you are the temporarily able-bodied. You can join my group at any time. As you know, Karen, I live with epilepsy and I'm hard of hearing. And I tell people, don't, don't let it be that you have to have an accident or something happened to your child or, uh, you know, spouse, partner, whatever it would be, don't let it take that for you to wake up and say, hey, we all count. We all count. Everyone counts. Everyone matters. And And back uh, to your, your program about stigma. I mean, I would hope that if these children who are now bullies, when they grow up, if they ever have a child who is bullied, I mean, they'll understand the horror of it and why it's so important to break it. I mean, I really am a firm believer that children have prejudice, they have racism, they have sexism, they have all of these horrible isms modeled to them. You know, even if it's not through a parent, it's through something that they're consuming via media or television or, you know, it's a kid who is a bully who's surrounded by people who don't tolerate bullies is no longer a bully. Mm-hmm. That's just a, a, a fact. Mm-hmm. 
That is so true. Yes, that is so true. And what also worries me is if that is allowed to go on, you know, what happens to those people, those bullies, then when they get jobs, you know, if they're thinking it's okay to live a life where you uh, really make other people feel worthless. I have young people that have taken their own life, people, young people with disabilities, because they were so brutally bullied, you know, uh, Facebook, whatever the social media is saying, you're ugly, you're a freak, you should die. Or uh, one young woman that it, in school that I worked to help, uh, very attractive, but it was obvious that she was blind in one eye and, and she had a problem seeing out of the other eye. She would wear gl- sunglasses and, and I have kids calling her blind Barbie, weird, stupid, and I mean... Thank God we were able to intervene, but it has a terrible impact on people. So, Karen, uh, with this slaughter stigma, we will slaughter stigma campaign, which I'm so proud to be partnering you with you on this. What, what are some of the things that you're going to do? Well, I mean, I think the best way to stop this sort of horrible bullying is to talk about it. You know, nothing ever got solved by not talking about it. And I think that reaching out to friends, you know, I've got a lot of friends who are authors. We want to amplify this campaign. Um, And I want to encourage my friends who are authors to write about people with disabilities in a believable way, not like the magical disabled way, you know, where the guy in the wheelchair is smarter than everybody else and brings great wisdom. And, it, it, you know, it, to me that's insulting uh, to, to have, get, to imbue the, them with a superpower instead of just making them a human being. You know, you're writing about someone who is a human being and who has great things about them and who has flaws and who's interesting and has a life. And, you know, I, I think it's important to write about that. One of the things that I've personally been horrified by lately is I am my, I'm working on my next book for next year, and I'm writing about a man who has a above-the-knee amputation, and he's a prison inmate. And, you know, a lot of people would say, well, this guy, he did some bad things. He deserves to be punished. But we have in our Constitution that it can't be cruel and unusual. And the way people with disabilities are treated inside of prisons is appalling. And primarily, it's the it's abuse through negligence. It's a lack of proper medical care. You know, people who are amputees have a lot of issues that come up, and then they're specialized issues. And, you know, whether it's getting fitted with a, a properly aligned and fitting prosthetic or dealing with the bone spurs that can occur or the infections or the, you know, just the things that are very difficult when you're not in prison to get your insurance company or Medicare or Medicaid to pay for are exponentially so in prison. And one of the the details that I found most shocking was in prison you have co-pays now. So if you want to see a doctor, it's hard enough to, to just get an appointment with a doctor when you're a prison inmate, but you have to pay a $5 copay. I mean, that's ridiculous. That That's, to me, I don't even understand 
I understand the logic behind it because nobody cares about people in prison, right? We all want them to, to have horrible lives because we think that makes them not recommit re- crimes when they're out. But, of course, we've known from years of statistics that's not true. But, I, you know, people just are not aware of how difficult we as a society make it for people who have disabilities. And I want to write about that, and I've had real conversations with friends who are authors about that, you know. Let's draw attention to these these things and how difficult we make the world when it does not have to be that difficult. Uh, and calling attention to the pain of it, you know. For, for my character, Will Trent, to have been bullied like that when he was a kid, to be not just... Uh, victimized by violence because of it, but to have to fight back when he didn't want to fight back uh, and and to risk his health and to risk his education, to risk going to jail maybe for being in a fight, that kind of thing, just how terrifying that was for him. And, and maybe, you know, I, I might be blowing smoke, but maybe one person will read that and they'll think, wow, I never thought about that. I never looked at it that way. I never thought... How humiliating it would be, for instance, if a guy goes to work and he's in a wheelchair and the elevator doesn't work and someone says, well, I'll just carry you. You know, I mean, we need people to be able to have their equal share of dignity. I mean, there's a lot of crap we put up with just as human beings in the world. But to heap more crap onto someone because they're dealing with uh, a disability, I think, is just contrary to... The golden rule, you know? I'm a a firm believer in that. You just be kind to people. Be kind. You don't lose anything by being kind. You lose everything by being cruel. Amen to that. Well, hey, we got to go, but... uh, First of all, Karen, thank you so much. I could talk to you forever. Um, But I want to say to everyone, you got to join Karen Slaughter and I. You heard about it today. We will slaughter stigma. You've got to get with it with us. And with that, this is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Go get one of Karen Slaughter's books today. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. We are the leader in live Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.